You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it, and I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Let's get started. Welcome to the Bloodline with LLS. I'm Alicia. And I'm Lizette. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Today, we will be speaking with Dr. Rain H. Rouse. Dr. Rouse is a pediatric hematologist and oncologist at Texas Children's Cancer Center, where she is a member of the Leukemia and Bone Marrow Transplant Program. Dr. Rouse has spent the past several years of her career pioneering immunotherapy research for patients with refractory leukemia and lymphoma. Specifically, she works as part of a research program called the Center for Cell and Gene Therapy at Baylor College of Medicine, focused on translating targeted T-cell therapies from the bench to bedside and has been involved in every aspect of CAR T-cell development for clinical use. She has significant clinical experience in taking care of patients who have received CAR T-cells and is passionate about ensuring patients and families understand this exciting new therapy. Thanks so much for chatting with us today, Dr. Rouse. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited. Good, yes, so are we. Now, for our listeners, Dr. Rouse is no stranger to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society because we actually did a program with her and Dr. Loretta Nastapol from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, in which they spoke about CAR T-cell therapy in children and adults with blood cancers. So for those listening, we encourage you to visit www.lls.org forward slash programs to view that program. So thanks again for joining us. Of course. So before we get into the meat of this episode, we're always interested in hearing about how speakers got introduced to their field. So for you, what brought you to the field of medicine? Was it something that you knew you always wanted to do? Well, I think my story may be pretty similar to a lot of physicians. I knew that I wanted to do something where I was taking care of people. One of my greatest skills is talking, and some would say I may talk a little bit too much. We'll put that to the test. Same. <laughs> <laughs> I love to hear about people's problems. I love to try to help them. So I initially thought I would be a psychiatrist. And then once I got to medical school and I did my very first pediatrics rotation, I absolutely realized that I needed to take care of children. So I decided to do pediatrics. I never actually thought I would end up taking care of kids with cancer. But from the first time that I ever took care of one, I knew that it was kind of my calling. You guys know that we have to treat patients with leukemia, for example, for a really long time. And so you really get to become a part of their family. You watch them grow up. I have patients that I've taken care of since they were two years old who are now teenagers and pretend like they don't know me. So (laughs) I love the aspect of it, and I've never, never traded for anything. Right. We were actually speaking with another doctor who said he feels like he's part of the family and helping them make very important decisions at such a challenging time of their life. Absolutely. So it, it, it truly, in some ways, I practice psychology and psychiatry every day. 
not just with the, the patients and the families, but with everyone, you know, working apart as a part of a team. So it's really kind of the best of both worlds. Right. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about CAR-T self-therapy. Yeah. And it's interesting because over the past several years, you hear immunotherapy, you hear that it's emerged as, I was reading an article where they refer to it as the fifth pillar of cancer treatment. Absolutely. So, yeah, what is this for the listeners, patients, and caregivers listening? Because it seems like something that people are asking everyone about. You know, they're certainly calling us and asking us about. So what is this for those listening? Absolutely. And I'll just mention, you know, 10 years ago, it was difficult to find someone who actually knew what CAR T cell therapy is. And now, you know, we have our grandparents calling us saying, have you heard about this therapy? Because it's so widespread and so well known. So I'm going to break this down and simplify it. So a lot of times when people talk about immunotherapy, they use it almost synonymously with CAR T cells because it's one of the, I think, most well-known types of immune therapy. And basically what this means, a CAR T cell stands for chimeric antigen receptor T cell. That's a mouthful. Anytime you hear CAR or chimeric antigen receptor, all that means is this is an artificial receptor, okay, that we've engineered in the laboratory for the sole purpose of specifically recognizing something we want it to, okay? So when we make CAR T cells to target cancer, we take T cells typically from a patient with cancer. We trick them into the laboratory, but basically we put them inside of cell culture plates and we use a virus that's been activated to introduce into it this special machinery that will cause every T cell in the culture to express on its surface this artificial receptor. Again, the purpose of that receptor is to target only what we want it to. So you can essentially make a CAR T cell to target almost any antigen or marker or surface protein that's on the surface of someone's cancer. So once we introduce this new machinery into the T cell, and a lot of people, I mentioned this, genetic engineering, because these are what we call genetically modified T cells, meaning we're putting something into its DNA, into its makeup to make the T cell different. We feed them and grow them in the laboratory and expand them until we have enough that we can give back to a patient. And our T cells right now are in our bodies, aren't they there to attack when we're sick? Absolutely. So T cells, all of us have T cells that are floating around our body, and their job is to be on surveillance. I like to call them the security guards. So they're floating around the body, and they have a regular T cell receptor on them. We call it a native T cell receptor because it's born there, it's been there. And that T cell receptor's job is to look for things that don't belong. So that could be a virus, that could be some sort of bacteria, but importantly, it could also be a cancer-infected cell. Okay, so most of us make a few bad cells every day that don't look quite right, and our T cells will go after them, attack them, and use their killing machinery to kill them. The problem is very few of us, even patients with, with cancer, have T cells that are specifically made to actually recognize something that's on a cancer cell. So they may recognize that the cancer cell is not quite right in some way and doesn't belong there, but it's not specifically geared to target it. So when we take T cells from the patient's body, we don't remove those regular T cell receptors that exist. We just add our special artificial CAR receptor so that it can equip the cell with another kind of enhanced 
healing ability specifically against something that's on the cell of the on the surface of the cancer cell rather so that's how they know to actually attack the cancer cells since they haven't been attacking the cancer cell before so and, and another thing about t cells is when they've been in contact with things, so they may attack a cancer cell here or there, but if you have a lot of cancer cells in the body, they get overwhelmed. They can get a little bit lazy. They fall down on the job. So what we do is we take these T cells out of the patient's body. We wake them up in the laboratory. We stimulate them by feeding them with nutrients that make them kind of get souped up. And then we train them to attack what we want them to. So not only do we expand them in number, but we really kind of simplify what they look at so they don't get distracted. Sometimes T cells in your body are like, oh, here's a virus over here. Oh, here's this over here. <laughs> we want these T cells to go in and keep their eye on the prize, which is the cancer cell, identify it because it has this special receptor that's built to identify this surface marker, target it for killing, and then use its killing machinery to kill it and eliminate it. The good thing about CAR T cells is that they get really excited once they come into contact with cancer cells. So in the body, <laughs> they kill them, and they get excited, and they recruit their buddies over, and they say, hey, let's kill some more, and they grow in number, and they kind of get activated, you'll hear us say, and they just go to town against cancer cells. Wow. I think it's so fascinating. When we were first introduced to this process, I know, you know, we did videos on it. We did publications on it. And I remember just reading it and saying, what is this? Like trying to actually grasp it. And I think your explanation that you just gave is one of the clearest explanations of our CAR T cell therapy that we have heard. It really is futuristic type medicine. And it's hard to wrap your head around. But the interesting thing is that it capitalizes on the basic immunology of the body. T cells are supposed to look for viruses. So we trick the T cells. And we used an inactivated virus to put it into the T-cell, carrying the machinery that actually is the CAR. So we kind of used the T-cells on tricks against them to get the CAR molecule to attach to them. And then we grow them in number, and we put them right back into the patient, and then they go and kill the cancer. Well, I think the coolest thing is that it's your own cells. Absolutely. You know, it's not like getting chemotherapy, which is a combination of medications to come into your body to kill cells. It's actually your own cells that are recognizing these cancer cells and doing away with them, which is exactly what you want your body to do. Exactly. I think that's one of the greatest things about CAR T cell therapy is it truly kind of empowers the patient. You know, most patients who have who ultimately will receive CAR T cell therapy are patients who've received other forms of therapy in the past. You mentioned chemotherapy, sometimes radiation, sometimes a surgery, sometimes other experimental drugs. This therapy allows your body to kind of take control. And none of our bodies would be able to do it on their own. So we have to use our special laboratory medicine to soup up the T cells, bling them out, like I like to tell my teenage patients. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Bring them out in the laboratory. <laughs> <laughs> so when we hear re-engineer T cells, I, you know, when again, when I first heard about this, I was like, okay, that's fine. How long do we expect these re-engineered T cells to work? But it's, it's indefinitely, right? That's an excellent question. So one of the ways that we have made the greatest strides in CAR T cell therapy over the last few years is in making these T cells last longer. 
So on one hand, they're your own cells, right? So you don't have to worry too much about your body recognizing them as foreign because they have the same HLA or tissue type as you. So you don't have to worry about that. But on one hand, the original version of CAR T-cells was not designed to last forever because it relied on the T-cells own kind of killing machine. What we have since learned is there's a couple things we can do to make them last longer. One is just like we built the CAR receptor into the T-cell, we can actually put additional stimulatory molecules that their only job is to make the CAR T-cells last longer in the body. So these help the CAR T-cells persist, okay? The second thing we realized is if we make room for the CAR T-cells by giving a few days of what we call lymphodepleting chemotherapy, which is kind of like chemo light, so a few days of chemo, then we clear out some of the other lazy T-cells that weren't really doing their job anyway, and we make room for our CAR T-cells to come in and set up shop. So there are lots of differences. Every CAR T-cell is, is created differently, okay? So one of the biggest advances, I think, that, that we truly have made in the immunotherapy world is knowing that unless a CAR T-cell has additional built-in stimulation, it's very unlikely that it is going to last in the body for as long as we want it to. The reason that it's important for the CAR T-cell to last for a long time is because if we can't find the CAR T-cells in the patient's blood, we always worry that the cancer will try to come back because it doesn't have that CAR T-cell hanging out in the blood, in the bone marrow, on surveillance, looking for it. Does that make sense? That does. It does. So you mentioned that every CAR T cell is created differently. So I know that at different institutions, the process kind of differs slightly as well. So does that even make the situation hairier when it comes to approaching how team might think the CAR T may perform in the person's body and for how long? Absolutely. That's a great question. So in the earlier days of CAR T cell therapy, we did not, and when I say earlier days, I mean even as early as like 10 years ago, okay? <laughs> know which properties were most important for CAR T-cells, okay? And once we identified, even in the laboratory and in preclinical studies with mice, we realized that the T-cells ability to kill alone, even with the CAR molecule attached, was good, but eventually those T-cells will get tired and they get lazy and they turn off. So we knew that we needed to add something additional to the car to make it keep going and keep killing. We did not know what the ideal additional molecule was. So interestingly, and this is, this is where it gets really confusing for patients and for caregivers also, because you say, okay, I see these three different CAR T-cell studies. They all say they're targeting the exact same molecule, let's say CD19 on B-cell malignancies, and they look the same, but they're three completely different studies. How are they different? Often, the main difference is that the additional stimulation molecule that researchers added to the car was different, okay? Initially, this is because we had to study these in early phase trials, some of which the LLS supports, and we had to figure out which one was best. Now, there are a couple of commercially available CAR T-cells. One of them uses the, one of the main co-stimulatory molecules, and the other uses the other. The reason why is because the results have been similar, meaning 
we can induce complete remissions um, in lots of relapsed patients with these CAR T cells. But it is clear that one of the additional molecules does seem to make the cells last for longer. Okay, so I would say now we're finally at a place where we've been able to explore the properties of these CAR T cells more in patients, in clinical trials, and even on a commercial setting. So we kind of know what you get based on the different CAR T cells, if that makes sense. So there might be a reason that a doctor says, you know what, I'm going to choose this CAR T cell for my patient because I'm trying to get them to a sibling match transplant because this is still what we know provides a long-term curative option. And although we do have lots of patients who are five, six years out from CAR T cells and going strong and have had no other therapy, it's still a relatively new therapy, so we don't really know on a large scale how long they last. Whereas if someone did not have a transplant option, you might say, you know what, this CAR T cell has this additional stimulation molecule that in clinical trials has been shown to last the longest. So I'm going to choose this option because I hope it will be an ultimate curative option for my patient. Does that make sense? That does make sense. I was going to ask you, because in the beginning when we started hearing about CAR T, we didn't know if CAR T was for a cure or just as like a bridge exactly. to another therapy? And that's a great uh, question to bring up because initially everyone thought of it as a bridge. The reason that we found out that maybe this actually is for cures because some patients who either were ineligible for bone marrow transplant or did not have a donor or decided to wait and see actually remained in remission long term. Mm-hmm. And we find these CAR T cells still circulating in their body years out from therapy. So it still remains unclear who will have a long-term remission and who won't, but the good news is that we have very good surrogates for measuring this. So we can easily track these cells in the blood. So if you have no evidence of your cancer and those cells are still happily floating around, even if in very low level, most of us feel really good about it. And we say, you know what, you're still going strong. I think we are still several years away from truly being able to say whether CAR T cells can be curative for some patients and what distinguishes a CAR T cell that's potentially curative versus one that is more of a bridge. And I think our definition of bridge will change. You know, originally a bridge is six weeks, eight weeks, three months or so to the next therapy. But we may find that a bridge may be longer, maybe three years, four years, five years. And that's still a really long time, especially in patients who previously were told that they didn't have treatment options. Right. I could only imagine the excitement for patients and caregivers. I know that within the healthcare field, it's one, like you said, it's one that is expanding and transforming based off of what new information comes about. But for patients and caregivers who were told or would have been told in the past that there's nothing for them. This is such an incredible option for them. So thank you for all that you do for these patients and caregivers. I mean, it's a, I'm honored to be a part of CAR T cell therapy research and to work with a team that's able to support these efforts. It's a huge uh, on-taking, not just for the patients and for their families and their caregivers and other health care providers who send patients to us and organizations like yours that support this research. So it's really amazing. And I think every day, at least twice a day, I think about 
patients that I took care of early on in my fellowship when this was not a treatment option. And I think about how things may have been different had it been. And I think that that is probably what every physician who's ever in or healthcare provider who's ever taken care of someone who's successfully gotten CAR T cell therapy or not successfully gotten it thinks about. And it's also another reason why none of us are content to just stop now. We are always looking at ways to make CAR T cells better. It's like going from the Model T to the Tesla, right? You know, there's always something <laughs> that you That's can right. <laughs> That's right. That's a great example. <laughs> Always going to be upgrades. We're trying to get to the flying car future yes. setting, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. People call the LLS and they say, I heard about this new option. Tell us more about it. Or, you know, we'll talk to doctors who will say we have a, you know, we have a flood of people coming in and asking about this new therapy. So when someone comes into your office, are there any common questions that you find that are being asked by patients and caregivers? Absolutely. I think one thing that we always have to remember, and this is a big take-home point, is still at present, even though CAR T-cells are commercially available for some malignancies, such as leukemia and lymphoma that express CD19, the one thing to remember is that these CAR T-cells are still reserved for use in patients who relapse, meaning have their cancer come back, or who have been unable to go into remission. This is still not frontline therapy. This is why when patients may go to their doctor and they're newly diagnosed with a type of cancer, they say, you know, I heard about this potentially less toxic, more personalized option. I'd like to do this. I'd like to be eligible for CAR T cells. And their doctor has to say, unfortunately, right now, or fortunately, you're not eligible because this is only available for relapse. And the reason why is we still do not have enough long-term data on CAR T-cells for it to move to the forefront of therapy. I don't want people to be discouraged by that because what this also means is we're in a different realm now. Now, if you unfortunately have your cancer come back, you have more options that you previously did not have to treat. And these are actually pretty good options. You know, not options that say, well, there's a 10% chance or a 20% chance, but with CD19 CAR T-cells, for example, there's upwards of 70% chance that lots of patients will experience a complete remission after them, which is really great. Also, I don't want people to be discouraged because every single day, researchers who deal with CAR T-cells are working on how can we move this therapy to the forefront, Okay. How can we move it earlier in treatment? How can we give these cells before people actually relapse? How can we use it up front and maybe stop using some of the more toxic mechanisms? In order to do that, we have to study it very safely, right? We have to build it into clinical trials. We have to first say we're only going to reserve this therapy for people who show evidence early on that they may not continue to respond to our traditional mechanisms of treatment. So there still is a waiting period before this comes to the forefront, but I think it's a necessary waiting period because we need to know everything that we can know about CAR T cells and who is the ideal person to get them before we actually give them to patients. So one big question is, am I eligible? People always ask that, and often people who don't quite meet the criteria because they're still receiving initial treatment or they have no evidence of disease, they haven't relapsed, 
will feel a little bit downtrodden by this, but I encourage them that, you know what, we have this in our back pocket if you ultimately need it, which we hope you never do. The second thing is that in order to be eligible to receive CAR T cells, your tumor has to actually express what the CAR T cell is targeting, okay? So this is not so big of an issue for CD19 positive uh, B cell leukemias and lymphomas because the vast majority of them express CD19. But this does become an issue for some of our other types of even acute lymphoblastic leukemia, such as T-cell ALL. It becomes an issue for AML. It becomes an issue for multiple myeloma, which adults get. It becomes an issue for almost any other cancer that you're targeting. It can be difficult to find a surface marker that is present in uniform expression levels on the vast majority of people's cancers. The reason that it's important for that marker to be present is that if you target a subset of those cancer cells, let's say you knock out 50% of them, you still have 50% there that are going to be much angrier and ready to come back. So we have to be very safe when we're choosing who we give this therapy to. You know what you're saying, doctor, we hear people who want to go into CAR-T all the time as their initial therapy. And we've actually, Alicia and I have spoken to a gentleman who's gone through CAR-T therapy and it was for, you know, a subsequent relapse and, and how nice it would be that maybe at first relapse he was able to get this. So we do hear um, the frustrations from people all the time that, you know, Everybody is looking for something that's not as toxic because we keep hearing that, you know, chemotherapy, radiation, this is all um, very harsh on your body. Now, is CAR-T also very harsh on your body? Very good question. So we talked about how the T-cells are personalized. They're made from your body. We engineer them in the laboratory. Um, I haven't mentioned yet, but we obviously test them extensively to make sure that they target what we want them to and don't target what we don't want them to. So they're very um, well tested and dutifully tested before we put them back into the body. One thing about CAR T-cells, though, is that when they come into contact with tumor, they are primed to kill. They get super excited. They get really activated. I told you they call all their buddies. They're like, hey, there's a party going on here. We shut it down. <laughs> Everyone in the neighborhood, even the people that are normally sleeping and being lazy, they recruit them. So they really activate the immune system. So what can happen is when all of these T cells kind of attack cancer cells, your body can release a lot of different inflammation markers. And the reason this is important, these are called cytokines, but these cytokines can cause you to have fever. They can cause you to feel like you have the flu. They can even cause you to look to any healthcare provider like you have a bacterial infection. So the CAR T cells, when they're attacking cancer cells, can make you pretty sick. Sometimes this can require you to be transferred to the intensive care unit. You can need help with keeping your blood pressure up, using medications. You can need additional support to help you breathe. This is called cytokine release syndrome, and it's actually very common with the most common CAR T cell, the CD19 CAR T cell. So lots of care has to be taken into treating patients. We know that this can occur. We know the main inflammatory causer that causes it, and we actually have an antidote to it. So we know that after people get infused with CAR T cells, we have to watch them very closely. Uh, most 
clinical studies and even the commercial products require patients to stay within about an hour or two from the hospital within the first month. Some trials require you to stay in the hospital. The reason why is because we can't exactly predict when these symptoms might occur, but usually it occurs when the T cells get really activated and start expanding. And I would say on average, um, across most studies, it's about a week, okay? But it can occur as early as 24 hours. And so even though this can happen and we have a medication and other medications we can give to kind of dampen these symptoms, so we can treat it. It's usually transient and something that typically goes away. It can certainly make you very sick, okay? These cells also can find their way to the central nervous system. They can go into the spinal fluid. This can be a good thing because leukemia and lymphoma especially likes to find its way there too. So they can go there and be on surveillance, but they can also sometimes cause you to have some neurologic symptoms. It could be mm-hmm. a something like sleepiness, but it could also be seizures. So there's a lot of precautions that we have to take. The good news is these side effects are typically transient, um, and we have very detailed diagnosis and treatment algorithms that are widely available. But this is part of the explanation for why if you live in a very small town and you have an amazing oncologist that you love that you go to there, they may say, you know, unfortunately, we don't have CAR T cell therapy here because it it requires quite a big infrastructure to be able to safely take care of patients. So a type of in- infrastructure like transplantation? So good question. So the type of infrastructure meaning, number one, to make the cells. There, there are places that make the cells there in-house. Like, for example, in our Center for Cell and Gene Therapy, we make lots of different types of T cells, and you do need to what's similar to a transplant structure there, but you need a special laboratory to make cells. Or I think the CAR T cells that people are most familiar with are where they have their T cells collected um, in a phoresis center. And some smaller hospitals don't have phoresis capabilities, and they may refer patients to other phoresis centers. And then your cells are sent to a company, for example, or factory to make the cells. So in order to treat patients with CAR T cells, you have to have an ICU, you have to have the emergency department, you have to have doctors who are certified to take care of uh, patients who've had adverse events from cell therapies, which typically means you have to have a bone marrow transplant program. So that sort of infrastructure. So also because these symptoms can happen as early as four hours after the sales, or they can happen two weeks after the sales, it's really important that you be able to stay within a certain distance to that hospital because we would hate to send a patient back to their home oncologist who may be an amazing oncologist, but the hospital doesn't necessarily have the infrastructure to take care of a patient who has a specific side effect from CAR T cells. And you can imagine that if you're at a large center like ours, we take care of lots of patients who receive CAR T cells. So Our emergency room doctors, our ICU doctors all have to be trained as well to identify immediately, and not just the doctors, but the nurses and the coordinators. So it's quite a big undertaking, and I think that, you know, one of our biggest goals is to make this therapy more widespread and to make it more available. So I think that that's something that we're all working on as well. And I think, you know, for patients and caregivers listening, they hear CAR-T, they get excited about it, they want to know more about it. It's a process, and it does take, like you said, it takes a team. It takes 
you know, qualified team to make sure that they're given the best care and they feel like they're receiving the best care as well. Absolutely. And I think luckily, especially with the help of people knowing about mm-hmm. CAR-T cells and, and, and patients asking about CAR-T cells, caregivers and organizations like yours, even if your home institution doesn't have the ability to uh, collect your your cells to make CAR T cells or send up to a company, et cetera, they usually can identify a place, at least in your region now. And this is not the case just, you know, five, six years ago. You may have to travel across the country. Right. And just going back to what you said earlier, we know that CAR T therapy is FDA approved as a standard of care for some forms of cancer, but, you know, there are clinical trials out there that are improving people's quality of life. And here at LLS, we we have a service called the Clinical Trial Support Center. And what it is is that patients can work one-on-one with an LLS clinical trial nurse navigator who will, will assist them throughout the entire clinical trial process. So I think it's very important for services like that to exist. And for those listening, you can call 1-800-955-4572 or visit www.lls.org forward slash information specialist and complete the referral form. And that way they can ask the questions about clinical trials, see what's out there, because it can be overwhelming. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because even for me as a physician scientist who does CAR T cell therapy, when I go to clin trials just to see what new trials are out there, I get overwhelmed. My colleagues who are leukemia and lymphoma specialists get overwhelmed. So I think it's amazing that LLS has this. I have been contacted a number of times, uh, a number of times by LLS patient advocates who are looking for trials and have found, identified a trial of mine that may be suitable for one of the patients that's contacted them. And even if they're not necessarily eligible, they link them with me and I can link them with colleagues across the country and sometimes the world who could say, you know what, here's a potential option. And this is something that's very difficult for anyone to navigate on their own, whether they're a family or caregiver or even a health provider. Absolutely. So when I went to that website, clinicaltrial.gov, amazing list of clinical trials, but for somebody who may already not be feeling well or for a family member who has no idea what this new world is about, it can be so overwhelming. So I think this service. And I'll tell tell you a secret. If I want to look into Ooh, we love secrets. Tell us. A secret that's going to be on a podcast, right? So <laughs> what colleagues who we may have some friendly competition are doing, I often look at the LLS website because you guys keep a really up-to-date kind of list, and I'll often reach out to you guys first. Because as you said, the Clint Trials website is amazing, but it can be a little bit difficult to navigate. Absolutely. Patients and caregivers listening, share that secret because it is one that can literally improve your life. (laughs) Yeah. And it's important to take everything into consideration and our nurse navigators do. So if you don't live in a place like Dr. Rouse said that they have CAR T cell therapy, we'll look to see where they do have CAR T cell and to see if it is feasible for you to travel because there's so many things that go into traveling, caregiver issues, there's financial issues, all these issues that we want to take into consideration when looking for a trial for you. So that list of 200 possible trials could go into, you know, a good 10 that may be really applicable for you, not just because of a certain mutation you have, the diagnosis you have, but also what is going on around you and what your needs are. Absolutely. 
Before we end this episode, Dr. Rouse, is there anything you want to share with our listeners that we haven't mentioned or you think is a point that needs to be stressed? I think I'd like to say that I often, when I do programs like this, or even when I'm talking to friends or family members who may know someone who's been diagnosed with cancer and they have a cancer that right now there aren't a lot of clinical trials uh, using CAR T cells for, they were maybe perhaps not any clinical trials. I want to let everyone know to continue to have hope. There are lots of researchers who have dedicated their lives to trying to bring CAR T cells to other types of cancer therapy and not just cancer therapy. So just because something is not available right now does not mean that it won't be in six months or a year or two years. So continue to have hope, continue to stay informed, utilize organizations like LLS to your benefit, and we are working hard to try to get there. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Rouse, and for joining us today and sharing such great information about CAR T-cell therapy with us. I know that our listeners and caregivers will learn just as much as we did about this incredible treatment option. So thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time.